This is a WTF podcast experience. And I also give them full autonomy to pull the pin on anything at any time. You know, I've had a staff member drive all the way down to Lake Rotomar where we do a lot of our shore dives and rings me up jokingly and says, what's our policy on diving when it's literally thunder and lightning on the lake? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, and he goes, I'm just ringing to let you know I'm coming home. From our point of view, I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to give our staff the authority and the, the responsibility to be able to say, hey, I don't feel comfortable about this dive and I'm going to call it for whatever reason. Welcome to Taming the Ferrets, New Zealand's most awarding business podcast. A collection of ferrets is called a business, and here on New Zealand's most awarding business podcast, we tame the ferrets once and for all. We welcome entrepreneurs, leaders, inspirational figureheads to inform, educate, motivate, and inspire. My name's Freddie Bennett, entrepreneur, explorer, author, and wannabe podcast host. And today, everybody, we have a real treat for you. I am delighted to welcome, splashing down here in the WTF studios, we have Tony Plank, owner of Dive Zone Tolonga. Tony, welcome to Taming the Ferrets. Thanks, Freddie. Cheers. It's good to be here. Well, it's, a, it's, it's an amazing experience to, to have you here. I think we're going to have a, have a great conversation. But Tony, for anyone that hasn't heard of you or Dive Zone Tauranga, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, so Dive Zone Tauranga has been, or an incarnation of Dive Zone Tauranga has been in Tauranga for over 40 years. Uh, my wife Liz and I were ha- uh, fortunate enough to buy the business uh, just over five years ago now. Um, we had... My background was I trained in hotel management, worked in some hotels uh, in New Zealand and overseas, came home, um, back to the Mount, we grew up here, so this is home. Um, Had my own business for 10 years, Um, that kind of had some difficulty, so I thought it'd be easier to go and be an employee for a couple of years. Um, That didn't work out so well. Um, Liz told me that I'm not a very good employee and that we should look at buying a business or getting back into having our own business. So um, we literally jumped on Trade Me and looked through to see what businesses were for sale, um, saw that Dive Zone were for sale, and thought, hey, we're both divers. That'll be cool. How hard could that be? Mm. Five years later, um, <laughs> it's been challenging, but it's been uh, awesome. It's been a great experience. Uh, love what we do. Um, love what we've achieved um, at the shop. Uh, we've got a great crew. We've managed to... Um, yeah, grow it and, and have heaps of fun doing it. So um, that's sort of, in a nutshell, who we are and what we've done. Amazing. I love it. And then there's there's so many different angles to, to dive into and the, the jokes aren't going to get any better. So I'll, I'll warn you all now. Um, but with, so you, you grew up in the Mount, which um, if, uh, I know we, you know, this is a global podcast. We do have listeners all around the world. For anyone that doesn't know the Mount, it's a beautiful area, a beautiful part of the world. You have the, you know, the the large mountain, you've got the beautiful water. Did you get into diving at an early age or is it something that's that's come into, into your life later on? Uh, so always really interested in the water. Um, fished and surfed and swam as a young fella. Um, heaps of snorkeling. Always really keen to, to give diving a go and for whatever reason just never did it in New Zealand. Looked at it a few times and... I don't know if it was the cost or the time or whatever, but just never did it. And so surprisingly enough, um, actually got my open water certificate when I was living in London. Um, <laughs> London, I, I don't know, yeah, London, you think of, you know, Great Barrier Reef, Thailand, yeah, yeah, yeah. Egypt. River Thames isn't usually on there. No, um, and it gets better because obviously just arrived in London, didn't really get the whole northern southern hemisphere thing. And so did my dive course in November in London. Wow. Um, open water dives that we did. We're down in Portsmouth. Um, from memory, it was 12 degrees. We had about four metres of visibility. Um, that, that sounds quite tropical. It was great. It was, it was an <laughs> awesome experience. Um, Liz decided that she would follow and she'd become a diver, but she was a little bit cleverer than me. And she um, did hers in Dahab in Egypt nice. um, about a year later. So, um, And then it just became a hobby that we both did together. Mm. Travelling around, we kind of, most places, we'd try and grab a dive somewhere. And so we did a lot of touristy dives um, through Europe and uh, Africa, South America and stuff like that while we were travelling. Um, came home and then became a Kiwi diver, I suppose, and started diving for crayfish and scallops and kaimoana and stuff like most Kiwi divers do. Um, and then, yeah, sort of Amazing. went from there. And then when, when did you... So you had the, the, the passion for diving and then you, you mentioned the, the, the first business that, that you started. 
was 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 that a challenge for you? Was that you know going into this new world of business ownership? Was that a whole new start? Yeah, it was a little bit. It was um, so we'd been in London um, for five years, um, been in hotels for about ten years up to this point. Mm. Kind of came home well, again, decided sick of London. Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? We were at a stage in our life where we were probably starting to settle down and think about having kids and all that kind of stuff that you're supposed to do. Um, so we. Um, and I didn't really want to work in the hotel industry in, in Tauranga. Um, at the time, we had what's now Trinity Wharf, um, and I think Hotel in Devonport maybe just opening. But it was sort of like I'd worked for some big multinational company or international companies, and kind of the idea of sitting beside the owner of the building and the and the business kind of scared me from an, from an operations point. So I thought, let's just leave it for a bit and see what else comes up. And again, um, saw an ad in the paper for someone that was looking for a Sky TV installer. How hard can that be? <laughs> Seems like a, a similar theme here. Um, but so yeah, went and checked that out, um, and basically got subcontracted to a dude and, and had a Sky contract for a bit, and then that business kind of morphed into um, AV installation, data cabling. Um, we lasted for ten years. We had business partners. We didn't have business partners. You know, it kind of went through that whole real small business. Um, you know, owner-operator kind of growth and shrinkage. And, yeah, so we had some massive challenges in that time. Mm. Um, and towards the end of it, um, I had a really good contract um, looking after some rest homes um, that gave me about two years' worth of work constantly from Hawke's Bay up to Coromandel, mm. travelling lots but making some good money, always had work on. Um, you'd finish one job, go on to the next one. It was awesome. And then they cut their budgets pretty much overnight. Um, and so we were sort of, I had, you know, a couple of young kids, real massive, and I'd been out of town for a couple of years, so I didn't really have the contacts that I had previously so much. So again, it was like, oh, what do we do now? I know what, it's got to be easy to go and work for someone. So mm. went and worked for a local uh, electrical wholesaler, oh, sorry, a electrical contractor, um, and ran their data team there um, and did that for about 18 months or so. Uh, and then went and worked as a sales rep for an electrical wholesaler. Um, but yeah, like, like Liz said, I'm not a very good employee. Um, I think after 10 years of doing my own thing, um, I kind of got really frustrated and really grumpy. And um, So then we decided, yeah, let's get back out on our own. Um, didn't really want to go back to being crawling in ceilings and stuff like that. Didn't really want to do a startup again, you know. Thought And so we thought, oh, well, again, we'll, our first thought was, let's buy a business that's got to be easier. Let's buy something that's a little bit bigger, maybe, um, that we don't have to be, that we've got some staff, effectively, because, if you know, an operator, if I don't work, we don't get any money, you know. Mm. So, um, yeah, so I looked into it, saw the dive shop, thought, you know, we knew a little bit of the history of, of what where it was. It was in a little bit of a distressed state when we bought it, um, and we kind of knew a little bit of why, so we sort of were cocky enough to think that we could um, turn it around. <laughs> and we did. And that's, that's what, and before we go into, into the turning it around, I wanted to take a, a step back to, to what was going through your head when say, you'd, you'd gone from the, the hotel industry to having your own business and then thinking, it's time to go back into the world of employment. And I ask this because I've, I've been in that, exactly that situation and I've done it with, again, from, from moving from the UK to, to New Zealand as well. And um Personally, I found it really tough because I I was thinking I'm not good enough to be a business owner. This is like a step backwards. I've I can't believe I've got to have a boss again. All these things went went through my head. Was it similar for you? Oh, definitely, hundred percent. You know, like even little things like um, having to sell my truck that I had and being given a shitty old you know Mazda Bongo van because mm. I, I was a new guy. I got the rusty shitty one. You know, like. Mm. Um, yeah, so all those sorts of things do go through your mind and you're kind of like, oh, why couldn't I make this work, you know? Um, but again, there was obviously the reality at the time. I had um, two young kids and, you know, um, luckily Liz was working and had a good job, but it's like we needed the money. And so, um, it, you know, I suppose possibly a little bit easier going into a similar field, you know, so kind of doing a similar role to what I was doing. Um, and I went in at sort of a... Super supervisory lower management type level, so yeah. it wasn't. Um, and I just sort of yeah had to sort of suck it up and um, and but yeah found that you weren't able to uh, do your own thing and 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 
you know, sort of drive your own direction anywhere near as much as you'd like and get frustrated and, um, again, little things like, and ended up running not just the data team but the day-to-day of all the Sparkies and that everything there was about, I don't know, 20-odd staff at the time. Um, and just massive resentment towards me about little things like being on call and, you know, why, why do I have to be on call? So, well, everyone's on call and even I'm on call, you know. But, um, and it's sort of, again, like you say, it's like, I'm just an, I'm the same as you are. I'm just an employee, you yeah. know. But I'm sort of taking on all this grief, and um, and I think that's probably what wore me down in the end. <laughs> what What do you think would have happened if you just stayed in employment? Because I know a lot of people they go into business, things don't go quite as planned for whatever reason. They go and get what I've always called like a, like a proper job, yeah, <laughs> such, yeah, yeah, and then they stay there and they they just stay there for for the rest of their their working life. And was that ever an option? What do you think would have happened if if you'd been there? No, I don't think it was probably an option. I I actually kind of see what Liz did as a little bit of an intervention, mm-hmm. um, and and that was highlighted um, probably not long after we started the dive shop, where my kids at the dinner table said. Um, Dad's heaps happier. He doesn't swear at the dinner table anymore. You know, so I think I I probably seriously would have ended up with some form of mental health issues. Um, mm. I was probably on the way towards depression, um, frustration, definitely. Um, yeah, I just would have, and yeah, I yeah, I don't think I would have um, been in a good space. It's crazy, isn't you know, it? Because I think like, we we think that we're hiding it so well. I mean, I've I've been there. Like I've been working in jobs, both badly paid and well paid, but I just. When you get that feeling like this just isn't me mm. and you think I, I I should be getting this, I should be just sucking it up and saying no one likes their job, this is just what everyone does. Yeah. But, but exactly the same, I was drinking too much, I was swearing too much, I was just angry all yeah. the time and yeah. I think it happens to so many of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and I think even my, uh, my last employer um, recognised that because when I finally told him or when I told him that I was um, – leaving and going out and doing my own thing um he was genuinely happy for me and i think he you know and i think we both sort of realized that the job that i had at the time wasn't definitely for me Mm. you know and obviously he was bearing the brunt of um a lot of what was going on with me (laughs) as as well as my family and so you you, so you've you've made the decision you you find the the dive shop you say that had been been running for 40 years was it literally the case of of seeing advertised what what was that process of saying yeah i'm in this job i want to go back into employment to, to to owning a dive shop yeah so it was it was um anzac day 2017 um i'd gone for a walk in the bush with my rifle um i can't call it hunting because i never find anything um but um so i um and i came home and liz literally said to me um you're really depressed you're really grumpy i think we need to look at getting our own business again um i've been looking on trade me um and there's a couple of things there i think we should have a look at, at buying a business you know i don't and we sort of had i suppose we talked about before about not doing a startup again or whatever um and so and she'd actually found a fishing charter company mm. and thought oh and so that was and then she went away not she she was obviously went out or something and um I remember sitting in the spa pool um lots of things seemed to happen in the spa pool um <laughs> scrolling through trade me like literally scrolling through trade me just seeing what businesses were for sale mm. um the kids joked that Tony's tire service was um for sale at the time and that that would have been a great fit <laughs> um not that I know anything about vehicles um but yeah and like and literally, I scrolled down, saw the fishing charter, sat in the spa pool, thought about it, really seasonal, really hard work, rah, rah, rah. Um, would kind of be cool because I love the ocean, but probably not quite the right fit. Keep scrolling. And literally, it was like a long way down on the list um, and subsequently found out that it had been on the market for a while. Lots of people had looked at it. Um, and so, yeah, it was literally – and then it was like, hey, the fishing charter is probably not a good one, but what about this dive shop? And then Liz is like, well, again, hey, we're both divers. How hard can it be? Um, so we, um, yeah, you know, and then you go through the process. You you ask for some more information. They send you the information. You look at the balance sheet and the, the profit and loss and go, oh, shit, that's not doing very well. Um, oh, but we'll be right. We can we can turn that around. How hard can it be? Um, so then you, and then you look at the price and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and this all takes time and I'm not an overly patient person. Um, and... You go to the bank and the bank says no. 
there's no way I'm lending you money on that business because look, it's not making any money. And it's like, yeah, but we know why and we can change it. And you know, how hard can it be? Um, and then, and at the time, uh, my parents were away, they came home, um, we were having a chat with them one day and I think even my mum said, oh, you're a bit grumpy at the moment, you're a bit depressed and um, there's a little bit of that history in our family so we're a little bit hypersensitive to it. Um, and so, and I kind of jokingly said, oh, well, there's there's a way to fix that but the banks aren't going to play the ball. And then, and my dad always is keen on a bit of an investment so he kind of pricked his ears up and said, what's going on? And so we gave our business case to dad and um, I was lucky enough he was in a position to help us out with the initial loan um, so then we put an offer in on the business and then went backwards and forwards and finally uh, took over in October 2017. So, you know, it took us about six months to go to get it um, with all the fights. And, the, and you know, you kind of that first day, you're like, geez, I've just bought this business and everyone else says it's going to fail. And, you know, the bank thinks it's a bad idea. And what am I doing? I don't know anything about the dive industry. Never been in it before. Uh, all of a sudden, I've got three staff that know a whole lot more than I do. And I kind of just got to have faith that they're going to help me run this business and turn it around and yeah we did i wanted to take a quick pause in today's episode to tell you some very exciting news we are honored to have the owner of the bay of plenty business news here in the studio mr alan neben welcome sir hey thanks freddie thanks for that welcome and we've got some really exciting stuff coming up in this month's issue that's the september issue of bay of plenty business news i knew you were going to ask me about that so i thought i might as well charge straight into it hey i don't know if uh if you live anywhere near uh, near bethlehem or Tapuna, Freddie? Yes, Alan, I do. <laughs> well done. I'll give it some context because you're probably starting to wonder why I'm asking that. No, we're not asking people to stalk you, to find you and track you down. Not at all. Hey, the reason I mentioned that is because we're featuring this month uh, a background story on the new Tolrico Eastern Link Road. Uh, for those of you that don't live in that area, you won't know anything about it. You may not be even aware that it's happening. But for those of you who live near the Wairoa River, uh, you may well seen a lot of activity there. There's big stuff happening behind the scenes. So September issue, Bay of Plenty Business News. You can find out a bit more about what's happening in this massive scheme. Alan, I need to get that information in my life. If I was going to go online to read the Bay of Plenty Business News, what website would I go to? That's easy. Dub, dub, dub. B-O-P businessnews.co.nz I'm there now. Thank you, Alan. And now back to the episode. I've got my my paddy license and, and I know there's there's a big difference between floating around 18 metres looking at fish and then going, shit, I've got a, a dive business to run. And um, with with diving as well, I imagine, it's, you know, you're, you're not selling tyres. It's it's something where if, if you do something wrong, it can have consequences, which I imagine brings a, a fair amount of stress and as you say if and then again speaking from from experience with this from a from a, an individual and a personal history with this this danced around mental health a little bit it's how does that feel when you've got the business responsibility you've got then the, the, the all the, the stuff with the bank the employees the fact that stuff really has to go right on a dive where do you start <laughs> how do you not get overwhelmed i think for us one of the benefits that we saw in buying the business that we had was that the previous owner um there was at one point there was two of them and one of them was the face of the business and was awesome salesman could sell ice to eskimos and the other person was the backroom person who we believed was going to have all those systems in place and was really rigid Mm -hmm. and she's the one that ended up keeping the business when their their relationship split up so we kind of Possibly naively, um, I don't know if it was necessarily as great as we thought the systems were, but the systems were definitely in place. Um, and probably to a point where she was really quite risk adverse. Um, and for us, and an example of that is uh, the Rena dive out on Australia Brief. You know, for, for Tauranga, it's an awesome story. It's a great dive, um, you know, and it's a cool destination. Unfortunately, the weather doesn't lead us to get out there enough, but um, we really wanted to dive the Rena because everyone wants to dive the Rena. It's a, it's, a, it's a story, you know, it's an awesome story. It's a a horrible story if you if you're sitting on the beach watching the oil come in, but again, it's a cool story to share with people and and make that dive more exciting. And that's what we wanted to do. But you know, they'd never dived the arena because that was considered too dangerous. So we looked at it again. So, but anyway, so there were systems in place. Um, our industry is highly regulated. Um, we have adventure activities audits 
um, which we get physically audited every year, desktop every year, uh, every three years, sorry. Um, obviously, Paddy has really strict standards and procedures. Um, so there's a lot of support and backup there for us for that kind of stuff. Um, I think what I've done in the last five years have been able to streamline that a little bit and make it a little bit, man- bit more manageable now that I've got a better understanding of it. When I first started, we had three pa- three folders of health and safety manuals. And you'd read the first one and it would refer to the second one. And then you'd read the second one, the bit that it referred to, it would refer to the third one. And by the time you got there, you'd forgotten where you were in the first one. So you could, no one could ever follow the manuals. And so we've been able to sort of tidy that side of it up. Um, but everything kind of dovetails into itself. The the adventure activity stuff dovetails into the paddy system. Um, you know, the guys, we're lucky that we train instructors and so all our and I've been lucky up until now that all of our staff have come through our training program. So they've had we've had a ten month job interview with them, and they've learned our way of doing things. And so therefore, it kind of just progresses like that. So um, the safety thing is is a massive part of what we do, um, but it's relatively easy as long as we don't do anything stupid, you know. And if you if you we're there to have a really good experience for the customer, um, but within limits, and you know. 18 meter limits or 30 meter if they're advanced or whatever and so that those sorts of things definitely help to mitigate um a lot of the risk and i'm really lucky that i've got some awesome staff that and i also give them full autonomy to pull the pin on anything at any time you know i've had a staff member drive all the way down to lake rotomar where we do a lot of our shore dives um and rings me up jokingly and says what's our policy on diving when it's literally thunder and lightning on the lake And I'm like, and he goes, I'm just ringing to let you know I'm coming home. Mm. Yeah, cool, no worries, no questions, you know. And that's, from our point of view, I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to give our staff the authority and the the responsibility to be able to say, hey, I don't feel comfortable about this dive, and I'm going to call it for whatever reason. Same when our boat goes out, you know, we've got a a thing in our um, M-top for our boat. Um, The skipper can call the dive the the trip at any time, Mm. and I can't override that. I've got that documented, you know, so... Um, so that side of it, yeah, relatively easy to look after, um, and then everything else you just sort of fake it till you make it, and, <laughs> and learn it as you go along. And um, you know, the dive industry in New Zealand is really small. We've been super lucky that we've had some awesome support from other dive shop owners. Um, part of the Dive Zone Group, there's a Dive Zone in Fitianga, Dive Zone in Bay of Islands. Um, I speak to the two owners of those shops weekly. Yeah, you know, we talk about problems. Not not problems. We talk about issues, things that are happening. Um, mm. Bounce ideas off each other. We get together once a year or twice a year to have a really good sort of bounce ideas off and, and some common stuff. Um, but every other dive shop in New Zealand as well is because um, we don't really compete with each other. So everyone's super helpful and and more than happy to share yeah. advice because it just makes the whole industry better. You know, mm. so it's really cool. That's really awesome. For, I love it. And uh, speaking of the, the, the industry changes and everything, obviously we had the C word happening. Uh, you know, so that would have been my maths isn't that great. So you'd have been in business what a couple of years when when COVID kicked off. Yep. So is that the case when you've you know we just feel like things are normal now? You've had a, the, the first two years of any business is is stressful, and then you think, oh, nice, just. Start to relax now, enjoy yourself, and then we start hearing about COVID happening. What goes through your mind? How does it impact your business? Massively. Mm. Um, so our COVID story started in Fjordland. Um, well, it started a little bit before that. Liz was heading off to Indonesia on a familiar with some other dive shop owners to check out. Um, and so we were just starting our international dive travel um, program in our, in our shop. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, as she went out, people were sanitising and all that. She kind of came back from Indonesia and went, oh, this COVID thing's a bit weird and people are behaving strangely. Like when we left, it wasn't so bad, but then coming back from Indonesia through Asia, everyone was masked up. We were sanitising everything we touched, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, that's a bit weird. And then we were lucky enough to go take a, a customer trip down to Fjordland. Um, middle of the sounds down there, no cell phone coverage, no, it's just like magic. And... Um, the skipper came out one day and I just heard on the radio that um, the government are considering making people self-isolate if they've been overseas because of this COVID thing. And we're like, oh, that's a bit rank. And then we're like, oh, crikey, we've got a staff member. So again, two years into the business, started to grow it, started to um, – one of my, my senior staff member, um, we put him through the 
paddy course director course, which is the top of the paddy tree, um, top top qualification. Um, had to apply for this course. Had to um, one of fifty people at the time, one of a hundred people a year that go through the CDTC. So they do fifty in Malaysia and fifty in the Dominican Republic, twice a year. Um, cost us about thirty grand to get them to this course. By the time we paid for airfares, the course, the prerequisite training, all that kind of stuff. So we kind of joked that he was our thirty thousand dollars staff member. Um, we also used to joke a little bit that he was English, and um, well, a lot that he was English, but um, that he was English and he was only on a work visa um, because then he was kind of tied to us. And why would I want to? And why would I want to sponsor him for residency? Because then he might go work for someone else. Yeah. And um, so he decided, he was in Malaysia at the time we were in Fiordland, and we're like, oh, James is going to have to stay in isolation for two weeks when he gets back. How are we going to survive? What what? What can we do? Oh, well, we can give him a laptop and he can do this and he can do that. In two weeks, I oh, will be able to survive, you know. Yeah. Um, and because also two weeks before he left, his girlfriend, who was French, um, decided that she was going to quit her job and go on holiday to Malaysia with him, even though he was going to the biggest training course of his life. <laughs> uh, but like, okay, whatever. Um, so we get out of Fiordland, I don't know, the Monday. Coming, coming across the ferry at Manapuri, everyone's phone starts getting service. Um, there was a whole lot of tourists on the boat as well. Um, and it's just like ping, ping, ping. And then all of a sudden there's murmurs and these talks about these restrictions and what's going on. And these Americans that are freaking out that they're not going to be get home. And it was kind of like surreal going from having no idea to being in this small uh, ferry with 50, 60 people. And everybody's talking about the same thing. So that was like the Monday. The next Sunday, Jacinda announced that she was going to have this traffic light system, um, something like that. Then uh, that we were going into whatever the level was, and then that or at some point she just said that she was going to close the border. So the borders were going to be closed yeah. Thursday night. But if you've checked into your flight, you'll get home. Mm-hmm. So James at the time was in Malaysia. He had already, the, the paddy guys had pulled the pin on the course because COVID was getting scary. They'd all gone home and told them they've got to find their own way home. He looked into it, couldn't really get home any earlier, but checked into his flight on the Wednesday um, or the Thursday, whatever it was. Um, he went to bed, woke up in the morning, and they uh, changed the rules, and you had to be on your plane by Thursday midnight. Wow. And his flight wasn't due out till Friday morning. Mm-hmm. Got on a plane, managed to get onto the plane from Kota Kinabalau to Kuala Lumpur. Um, this was Friday midnight New Zealand time. Uh, Liz and I were awake waiting for his updates. I'm at, Kate, I'm at Kota Kinabalau. Yes, they've let me on the plane with a boarding pass through to Auckland. Yes, he's coming home, he's coming home, he's coming home. Gets to Kuala Lumpur, there's a man with a sign saying, excuse me, sir, could you come this way? Um, there's no way we can put you on the plane. Wow. Um, so midnight, we're trying to work with him to figure out what he can do, uh, manages to get a flight to the UK. Mm-hmm. Um with Law being French, Malaysia Airlines were a little bit concerned about her being French and because they only had a flight to the UK, not to France, so that if she got to the UK, they could send her home back to Malaysia. Yeah. It was <laughs> quite stressful. Um, and fast forward um, 10 months and James came home. Wow. So he had a house in New Zealand, uh, a car. Um, his life was here. He'd lived here for three years, four years at this stage. Um, so we had our senior staff member went from a thirty thousand dollar course in Malaysia to about fifty grand with immigration lawyers. That's time. crazy. So that was our biggest um, COVID issue. Ten months, and how how was he with all of that? I mean, the the the, the mind boggles. So you're going to be away for a couple of so, weeks. So and, and James probably won't mind me telling this story. Um, hopefully, um, he's quite tight. Doesn't like spending money. Okay, <laughs> he went to Malaysia in March with a suitcase full of summer clothes. Mm. You know, he was going on a dive course, so most of the time he spent in a wetsuit anyway. Mm. Um, he then arrived in London and moved in with his parents into his childhood bedroom, mm. and we were quite active and trying to keep the staff engaged through lockdown. And we did quite a lot of Zoom meetings and stuff like that. And because James is our effectively our two IC. Um, or years out to OC, um, we had a lot of meetings with James over Zoom about what we're going to do with the business, get them informed. But the funny thing is we're sitting here on Zoom and behind him is the 
his little Nemo picture from when he was 13 or something like this <laughs> Nemo thing. Um, so, and then as winter hit over there, um, or, you know, he would start wearing his dad's jerseys and um, and he was like, yeah, I think it was pretty tough on him, um, again, mental health-wise. Um, his partner went home to France for a bit because, they, you know, they were living in the two-bedroom house in London with his parents. Um, he got a job in a cafe for a little bit because he had to um, help subsidise his rent back here because he wanted to keep yeah. his house. He's got the sweet little pad over at the Mount. Um, luckily, one of our other staff members was able to move in and help with the rent there as well. And it was, um, and we always said, you know, you, you're coming home. This And he wanted to come home. He wanted to come back here so strongly. It yeah. was like, and, um, and so did Laura. And, and then, yeah, she went to France and then, her parents sold their family home and moved into an apartment in Paris because they thought that they were at that stage where their kids weren't going to come home much anymore. So it wasn't suitable for her to stay there anymore. So she had to move back to, to Guildford. And, um, yeah, it was it was a, a really interesting time. And you, you read the rules and you interpret it one way and then you put an application into Immigration New Zealand. And, you know, he was one of 10 people in the country that have the qualification that he has. You know, I can name every single one of them. Um, but he wasn't essential enough. Wow, you know, and so um, you know, we we had to get one of those other nine to come and contract and do bits and pieces that we needed to do, you know. So it was, yeah, it was a really stressful time, and it was. Um, but you know, he's um, they he came they came home, and we had when the, f- the first day he came home because we'd bought a boat in lockdown as well that he didn't know about. And, um, we had drinks on our new boat um for him and um they hopped on the boat and just bored their eyes out it was quite um, oh, it was pretty touching yeah. i bet but it just shows i think the i think as business owners sometimes we you think about the the, the the big things or the grand things or the financial things but we forget like just one instant with one key staff member can can totally disrupt everything especially if you've worked so hard to create uh you know, this this tightly knit team as well yeah, 100%. You know, like, yeah, we'd... Um, and I think, actually, for us, James not being here really cemented that, what his position in our company was. Mm-hmm. You know, I think um, we'd sort of had these visions of him being our 2IC and, and, and helping to run our business more. Mm-hmm. And then when he wasn't here, um, you kind of realised how much you missed him and what he does bring to the table. And so... Um, yeah, that's definitely sort of growing that side of it. And he's now, um, yeah, basically runs our business, um, yeah, operationally. And, and Liz and I, when we when we can, get to do a little bit more of the on-the-business stuff, which is awesome. Amazing. Yeah. And, and you mentioned also in, in lockdown, and just because partly I need to, to shoehorn the the phrase, we're going to need a bigger boat um, or a smaller boat, <laughs> depending on, uh, on how... I know we were speaking about this before we were recording, but what what's the story around that? Because I'm... Boats aren't cheap, and, uh, and and lockdowns are expensive, and yeah. especially when you've been paying tens of thousands of dollars for for staff members training and everything else. How how does that come about? Um, so yeah, the boat was another COVID purchase. Um, I think, like I said earlier, you know, COVID was a really good time for us to work on the business, and we did. We worked like Liz and I worked full time pretty much. Um, you know, on the business, trying to make sure that when we were allowed to operate again, we were going to come out of it bigger and better and stronger. Um, and we spent a lot of time sitting in our spa pool talking about what we're going to do with the business. Everyone was talking about this whole pivot thing. And um, we decided that what was the pinch point in our business at the time? Um, and at the time, we were chartering a big old boat. Um, and the way we we're doing our, our dive trips wasn't ideal. Um, a lot of most of the other dive shops had their own boat, um, could go out a lot more, um, make the most of the conditions, um, be a bit more flexible in what they did. We were chartering a boat which would book in advance. Normally at that stage, I think we were doing two or three days a week. We were a pretty big um, customer of the of the the business that the charter boat we were using, um, but it was still kind of you know we'd book in advance that you'd have it on a, a Wednesday, Thursday, and a Saturday or Sunday, and you kind of had to make sure that the weather, you know, you didn't know if the weather was going to be any good. Um, it was a slow old girl that did seven knots, so um, Motori Island was an option, Astrolab was an option. We used to do Mare Island as a weekend because it took three hours to get there, so you couldn't get there and back in a day. Mm. So sitting around in the spa pool, it's like, and yeah, Liz had been in Indonesia and wanted to invite people 
to come diving in New Zealand with us and yeah, you can do that as long as it's on a day that we've chartered the boat and the weather's fine and all the stars align. Um, so we thought, what if we get our own boat? Well, we don't have a skipper. Um, we haven't got any money. Um, we're in lockdown. Um, what are we going to do? So um, we've got a really good business mentor who helps us with a lot of that problem-solving stuff, and we, we started problem-solving it and getting rid of the objections and the problems and stuff like that. And, and we sort of decided that, yes, we want to have our own boat. Um, it'll give us heaps more flexibility. It'll change the way we operate. Um, you know, how do we get a skipper? What do we do? Um, mentioned it again um, to Liz's brother, who was in Wellington at the time, who spent all his life sailing and, and around boats. And, um, you know, would he be interested in someday moving up to Tauranga and being a skipper on our boat for us? Mm. And all we're thinking about getting a boat, but we need a skipper. And then a couple of days later, Dave rings us back and says, hey, I've spoken to the family. We'll move the whole family to Tauranga if I can be skipper of your boat. Wow, cool. Oh, that's one problem out of the way. Um, but you know, then it's yeah. How do we? How do? What do we do? What do we? What do we look for? We looked at a couple of different options, and um, yeah, settled on Rukumwana, the boat we've got now, um, which is a smaller boat. So the first boat we looked at was a big boat, uh, would have been able to take twenty divers, um, which is what we were doing on the charter boat, um, but it was you know six hundred odd grand. It was a lot of money. Um, and so, and, and actually James went, said to us one day from the UK, he said, wouldn't it be better to have a smaller boat? When we, we, we compared, we saw another boat that was about a third or less than a third of the price um, that would take, could take about 10 divers at a, at a push, you know. Um, we, we tried to dive about eight on it. Um, and James actually said to us, wouldn't it be better to have a smaller boat that we take out more often and we have to leave customers behind than having a bigger boat where we have empty seats every day. And I was like, oh, that's quite clever. Um, distance, you know, gives them perspective. Um, training so, paid off, didn't it? Yeah, it did, 100%. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we went with a smaller boat and completely changed how we operated. Instead of trying to get 19 people on a boat trip um, and combining trips and training and everything and always going to the same spot, we ended up with this cool little boat that goes, you know, 18, 20 knots as opposed to seven, which means that we can get to Mare Island and back in a day. Nice. You know, so that was our, that's kind of one of our jewels here. Um, and we've now found a whole lot of different dive sites just because we are out more often, um, we're controlling a bit more of where we go, um, and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's been a, um, yeah, it was a little bit scary at the time, but again, we had to do something to change, you know, and, and come out of it stronger. And, and I think we have. Um, and the last couple of years, our boat trips have been really popular. We've got a really good um, group of people, surprisingly from Wellington, that come and dive with us all the time, um, and we've got this really cool group of people who dive with us on a Wednesday. We do a midweek charter, and there's a dozen of them who don't dive every every trip, but they, they cycle in and out and um, take days off during the week because they can, and um, they've kind of created this own little this midweek charter group, you know. And then, yeah, the Wellingtonians who don't mind travelling six hours to come up here and go for a dive because mm. um, it's closer than them going up to Poor Nights or whatever. Um, you know, so we've had them come as repeat customers over the last couple of years. And now, hopefully this year with the international market coming in, we'll be better serviced to, to deal with, to, you know, um, offer them some dive trips and that. Because, again, we used to get a lot of, uh, you know, backpackers or, or tourists who go, oh, I want to go for a dive tomorrow. Mm. Oh, we don't have a trip tomorrow. We've got one next Thursday. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we'll, we have more options now. So it's it's awesome. And it's, yeah, it's changed how we operate. Mm. I, I love that. And especially in lockdown, I bought a PlayStation and then you guys bought a boat. Yeah, yeah. So um, that, that sort of shows the, uh, the, the, stri the, the stretch of ambition. But what I love also is that we've all been there where you have the idea. It's like, oh, I'd love it if we could, get the boat or expand the business this way and then your brain clicks in and says ah but you can't do that because of the cost and there's this and there's that but the fact that you actually work through it all and you said okay here's a problem we can fix that what's the next problem we can fix that and then these these ambitious but scary challenges that we face that we we assume are impossible once you start to work through it then they there is always a way i'm a, I'm a big believer of that that if you if you look hard enough, if you open your mind enough, there's, there's always a way to, to make something happen. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and that's the basis of the problem-solving method that we use. You know, literally, we, we 
we want a boat. What are the barriers to us getting a boat? We wrote them all down. And then we started with the first one. You know, how do we overcome that? We haven't got a skipper. Oh, hang on. Dave's interested. Oh, we now may have a skipper, you know. Um, you know, where are we going to get? What's, what's the next one? What's the, you know, okay. And then when you kind of get to, yes, we can, we need a boat. What boat do we get? What's the advantages of this one? What's the disadvantages? What's the advantage of this one? You know, how do we change it? Oh, but we can't. That will only take eight divers. We always take this many. But hang on, what if we did more trips and we've got a full time? You know, so it's yeah, it's it's just working through those things one at a time, and and trying to get as many problems as you can to start with, and, and letting your brain just give you all that negative stuff and writing it down and and jotting it down. And that's the first stage. Of you don't even think about solutions. You just write down the problems because it's easier for us to come up with reasons not to. Yes. You know, and so. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes yeah you've got to come once you get to a point you once you've done all your not to's and then you start ticking them off you get to the end point and there's nothing left there's, yeah so you it has you know you know that it has to work and that you kind of yeah it's solution yourself into um, coming up with this you know getting what you wanted initially um, because you've got rid of all the objections you've you've worked through it and then it you know, we've we've bought the boat and we've had it now and it's you know, done three hundred odd trips, you know. Mm-hmm. Um it's we've used it heaps, we've like I said, it's changed the way we've done our business. Um we're giving our customers a better experience, we're giving our staff a better experience because they're shorter days there. Um it's a really nice it's we we're saying it's well, it is New Zealand's best dive boat. You know, nice. most comfortable dive boat. It's got, you know, hot shower, it's got coffee on it, it's um, yeah, it's cool, and it so it just completely changes how we do things, and it changes our focus, and it changes, you know, the, the amount of changes that it made that we could never have perceived. Um, the positive ones was is amazing. I love it, fantastic. And if you, I think if you look at sort of the, the, the bigger picture of, of of your business and and your your journey to getting where we are today, it's a bit of a cliche. Would you say that you've you followed your passion, or is it been more complicated than that? I think. The fact that I was a diver to start with um, is what attracted us to the business. Um, I think also possibly a little bit cliched, but I think I actually, one of my passions is running a business, you know, which is a bit sad, but, um, and I mean, the, 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 I suppose the flip side of the, you know, buying a business and something you love is I probably do less diving now than I ever have. I was going to ask, <laughs> you, we, you know? we always have, it's the same with the, um, like with the personal trainer, like someone who loves the gym and says, oh, "I'm going to be a personal trainer," because they never do any training themselves. Or the, uh, you know, the, the chef who loves food, oh, I'm going to, but they never get to to really enjoy what they make. And is it is it the same? Like, do you? It is, and it, it is, and it isn't. So we, um, like, day to day, my time is better spent at my desk, you know, and running the business. Even with James there, you know, he does a lot of that stuff for us now. But even working on what's going to happen tomorrow next year whatever so my that's the way i sort of look at my time's better spent doing that than um like today for example i could have been here but i also could have been out diving with some high school kids you know um and i would have loved to have been out there and that would have been an awesome day for me um but i mean yeah come on come on compared to this like you know you wow you know the 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 beautiful water and doing what you love or being here in the street i know it's tough it's tough it's tough um (laughs) sacrifices we make as business owners um yeah, I mean, I, it definitely helps doing something that you love. Um, and we're super lucky that Liz and I have also structured our business a little bit that we do the international travel and we do the bigger groups trip. So we do the Fjordland one. Um, we take people up to Fiji. So, you know, I may not necessarily get to go diving all the time, but, you know, next year I'm going to Fiji for a week, uh, so Fjordland for a week, uh, Great Barrier Reef for a week, uh, Northland for a couple of days, you know. So I, I will be doing a fair bit of diving. And that yeah so that's cool um it definitely helps i think doing something you love um and i also sort of relate it back to my days when i was electrical wholesaler you know a lot of our customers were pretty grumpy um you know they were coming in to buy a length of cable or whatever and you know basically just want to screw you down on price so they can get the cheapest price so they can then pass it on to the to their customer and, and win the job or whatever you know the customers that come into our dive shop are coming in because they are doing something they love, you know, and so they come in, um, or 99% of them come in super happy, super friendly, um, wanting to share what they've done, what what we know, out, find out from us what's going on, um, and so it's a really just a, a completely different vibe 
in the shop generally um, and around and around with what we're doing you know people coming in for training they're all excited all nervous to start with and and even like on our dive trips you know everyone at the beginning in the morning a little bit quiet everyone sort of no one knows each other um, they're all a bit standoffish a bit sort of going what's going on and you know and then when you bring them back off the boat and they come back to the shop wash their gear and they're all just buzzing and they're all friends and they've they've had this shared experience and uh you know, so it's, yeah, from that point of view, it's, it's awesome. And it's also because obviously we dive, so we can share in that passion. We understand that stuff, you know. Mm. Um, so, yeah, no, I definitely, uh, I think it helps that you've got a passion for what you do. Um, but you also have to accept that it may mean that you don't get to dive as much as you as you want to do. Unless you make, you've got to make a conscious effort to do so, you know. And I'm really lucky that both my kids now dive. Um, I've got a, th- a 12 going on 13 and a 15-year-old. Um, so we try and make efforts to steal the boat when we can, when it's not been used, and go for a dive as a family and, and stuff like that. Because if again, if you don't actually make the effort to do it, um, it's really easy for it not to happen, and you just end up sitting behind the desk at a computer or you know in a studio doing a podcast instead of diving. I know oh, it's painful, isn't it? <laughs> but it's a great point, and we you have to, I think, especially as a business owner, but in all areas of our life, like we 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 have to make the time for it and. I've had a number of people say this to me recently, like, you know, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, anyone, we've all got 24 hours in a day, but we all have to, to say, you know, put it in your calendar. Now is dive time. Now is me time. Now is family time. Um, otherwise, it won't happen. No. And I mean, we even, even with an example with that with Liz at the moment, is we've been talking for a long time about social media content. Mm. And, um, you know, our staff are really busy. There are times when they can't, take footage for us um, and Liz looks after all our marketing and stuff and so what we've actually done in the last only in the last two weeks um, she is now put into her schedule one day a week to go diving um, and that so that she can get some footage um, you know because she's got the ideas of what she wants the outcome to be um, and no matter how many times you tell your staff that that's what you want it always comes you know it doesn't always come back but quite often it comes back and it's not quite right and so we've actually yeah, put into her calendar that once a week she goes diving. So she's going to go out on our trips or our training or whatever we're doing um, so that she can get some content. But also, um, you know, that's good for her as well, for her mental health and, and but also getting to know our customers and our staff and, and our students and stuff like that. So um, that's, yeah, really cool. I love that. I, I need to try and work out a way to do a podcast underwater, but something tells me that might not. <laughs> oh, you know, we could sort you out with some uh, full face mask with some comms. Where we, we could go. talk to each other and, you know, we could sort something out, oh, I'm sure. I love it. Here we, we go. Be, we could be well... You probably don't know this, Teddy. I'm <clears> uh, I'm actually in the record, but I am officially the world's fastest fisherman. Are you? Yeah, I am in the Guinness Book of Records. That was the fastest marathon dressed as a fisherman. But um, but it was wearing gumboots, which I'm, uh, I'm not going to be doing anytime soon. What but, marathon um, was that? Uh, the Liverpool Marathon. Oh, was it? In, in oh. the UK, yeah, because we, uh, we grew up and... So well, my, my kids grew up there and you know, my kids are into, into the sea and fishing and scuba diving and everything. And, and they were like, Daddy, you need to be the world's fastest fisherman. And I was like, yeah, you know, when you're like with the kids, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, go, okay. Go, go and watch YouTube for a bit. There's a, there's a good boy. And then the next day they were like, Daddy, be the world's fastest fisherman. And again, like the kids like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to have to do this. So yeah, I found myself in full waterproof, like, cross between the world shittest mm. stripper and, and someone off deadliest catch and uh and yeah and that's so running a marathon like that but um now i can say i am the well, fastest fisherman in the world that's very impressive i <laughs> hats off to you actually because i uh, one of my last tasks in london was running the london marathon nice. um and i ran it in in normal running clothes mm. um past all those idiots that were dressed up and stuff and i just thought <laughs> i mean i struggled as it was but um mm. yeah so well done if you dressed up and made <laughs> I think definitely scuba diving is the, the way to go. Yeah, much 100%. More, much more relaxing. Yeah. Uh, Tony, we're, we're coming to, to the end now. This has been an amazing conversation. We do have a tradition here on Taming the Ferrets, which is the, the secret surprise question, which I haven't told you about. But the tradition is that every guest who comes on the show gets to write the question for the next guest. So I've got the book here, the, the secret never stop looking up question. So I haven't seen this question either. But what did our last guest say? So, secret question for you, Tony, is if there is one thing in your life that you could change, what would it be and why? Crikey, that's pretty deep, isn't it? I know it is for uh, for Thursday morning, isn't it? Thursday morning, uh, one thing that I could change in my life. 
I'd like to be more organised. I I kind of and this is a long held thing that I I kind of go through these fits and starts of writing lists and and writing stuff in diaries and then never reading them and you know um and yeah it was so much going on um that yeah if I I think if I was more organised and and have some better time management stuff um but I'm also you know quite impulsive and quite um. You know, if something happens and then it's like, oh, um, that's exciting, I'll go off and do that. And so, yeah, I think I think it would probably be to be a little bit more organised and a little bit more focused. And, um, yeah, I think that's a, that's the one thing that I would I would do. I think if that's if that's the, the one thing that you change, then um, then then that shows a pretty good life to me. And uh, it's been amazing to to learn more about you, Tony, and more about the business as well. If if people are listening to this and they want to to follow you guys on social media or come along or just just find your business, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, yeah. So we're on uh, all the social media, Divezone Tauranga, uh website divezonetauranga.co.nz. Uh, obviously, two one three Cameron Road. Um, so yeah, come on up and see us, guys. Um, we'll sort you out. With the, we want to be everything diving in the Bay of Plenty. Uh, so whether or not it's some training, whether or not it's some gear, um, you know, or an international trip, um, we can sort you out. And um, come on, get into it. Um, it's an awesome experience. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, hopefully now with summer coming up, that um, we're going to have some awesome, awesome weather. And um, why not get in under the water and and see what's out there. Definitely. I think there's so many people like, because listening to this, you know, I, I'm that sort of typical guy who did his did his paddy course when I was 18 in Australia and then did it a bit. And then when life gets in the way, you do it less and less. But I'm like, I'm, I'm going to come down if that's possible. And, Definitely. Uh, and I'll leave my fishing gear at home but uh, my gun boots. But uh, yeah, if I can come back down and uh, get into it, that would be awesome. Yeah, no, that's cool. We'd love to get in the water and uh, show you what we've got out here. So we've, got, we've got some pretty cool stuff out here in the Bay of Plenty, which I think up until now has been a little bit... Um, forgotten about um when thinking about diving in new zealand um but yeah we've got some amazing dive sites and and definitely come along and we'll get you out in the water love it let's make it happen awesome. tony it's been amazing to have you on taming the ferrets thank you we'd love to have you back for a part two soon and yeah thank you for being part of the show no worries thank you for having me it's been uh, it's been enjoyable cool thank you Cheers, mate. <laughs> like what you hear don't forget to follow us on social media at taming the ferrets and to give us five stars on your podcast provider We're New Zealand's best kept secret, but don't be afraid of sharing us with the world. This has been a WTF experience. Discover more of your favourite shows and learn how to launch your very own podcast at wtfproductions.nz.